I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, it's a mere 9.03 as we record tonight's tennis podcast. 9.03 UK time, 10.03 Paris time. Kena Shikori and Alexander Zverev currently on court after 52 minutes of battle. Zverev leads 6-4 to love. So he's currently getting the French Tennis Federation off the hook of a scandalously late finish, which I think was... What everybody was expecting of Anishikori's Varev battle could be more twists and turns to come. If there are any in the next 45 to 50 minutes, we'll, we'll keep you abreast of them. Uh, but we're planning not to record any addendums <laughs> to tonight's podcast, David. Those are our best laid plans. Yeah, yeah. But anything could happen, couldn't it, in the next two hours? So <laughs> let's see. Uh, but no, it's been a really interesting day and... Yeah, it, it's interesting watching Zverev coming out just as he has now, absolutely thrashing the ball from ball one. He went three love up. He was doing all the things that I think people have been saying for the last six years you should do as a six foot seven inch tennis player playing from the baseline, not standing on the back fence, but standing up in the court. When 10 minutes later, it was three all because uh, Nishikori had hit back. But yeah, interesting to see if, uh, if this is a one off for Zverev or whether this is going to be the new him. Mm. Yeah, I'm, everything you said, I'm sure, was really interesting there, David. But I'm afraid my mind was thinking only about whether it's addendums or addenda. Yeah. And whether I got that wrong. Matt, is it addenda? Has anyone ever used that, I was going to say, no one's ever before? made more than one addendum. Yes, no, they must have done. <laughs> um, we have on this show. I don't know. Okay. Uh, answers on a postcard. Please. Uh, it's been it's been a big old exhausting day at Roland Garros. So please forgive my grammar. Um, yeah, because I mean, lots of big things have happened, but two in particular or two particularly big things have happened. And they are not unrelated, I suppose, because today just might be the day that we saw the last of both Roger Federer and Serena Williams in French Open action. It might not be. It might be so for one of them and not the other. But it very well might be the last day of French Open action for both 
the current two greatest players of all time, I would say. I mean, obviously, that's a fluid situation in, in the men's game. Um, but in, in the women's game and the game overall, I'd say Serena Williams is absolutely the greatest player of all time. And that makes today a pretty seismic day. It's unfortunate that we can't sort of definitively talk about it as such. And Serena Williams, after her defeat today to Elena Rabakina, um, which we'll get on to talking about, she was, of course, asked about the way she saluted the crowd as she left the court, just a hovering of an extra split second or two, long enough to put the question in everyone's minds, just as it was there after the Australian Open or after her exit from the Australian Open. And she she didn't dismiss the question, but she certainly wasn't drawn on it either. So all we have is speculation, but the facts are that they're 39 years of age and they must come to an end at some stage and, and there is a good chance that this is the end for them both. Yeah. You know, I'd not really thought about it in those terms, really. I'd, I'd only, I think I'd only really thought about it in Federer's terms because we were, we were talking about it last night. But of course you're right. And yeah, that, that does take some getting used to because, simply because we just, we almost, we just don't really know anything else. Okay, I do because I'm, I'm extremely old. But you two, um, I mean, when, how old were you when Roger Federer and Serena Williams were not tennis players, Catherine? I mean, you're talking 1998, Federer turned pro, Serena came on the circuit. So you were what, 12? Yeah, that was 12, 13 is when I got into tennis. So I, I mean, I was very much aware of tennis before that because my family were very into it. But in terms of my my life of sitting down and choosing to watch tennis matches, Roger Federer and Serena Williams have been a constant mm. in that. Matt, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was one when when they turned pro. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, they've been complete constants, not just in my tennis-watching life, but in pretty much all the life I can remember. Federer and Serena have been a part of it. So, yeah, it does rock you a bit to think that they might, you know, this could be the last time they, they each play one of the biggest tournaments we have. Um, why can't we just have a nice, neat conclusion? Why does mm. it have to be so... Up in the air. I mean, obviously, I understand the answer to that, but you know, it's it, it's nice to know where you stand, isn't it? But yeah, it, it, yeah, it really is. For I mean, t two very very different exits from the tournament today. We had Serena Williams losing out to Elena Rabakina. That happened about about three hours ago now, as we record this, and around about three hours before that, we had Roger Federer releasing. Uh, a statement, or rather, I mean, Roland Garros released a statement today to say uh, Roland Garros tournament organisers have learned that Roger Federer has withdrawn from the fourth round of the tournament. After discussions with my team, he said, I've decided I will need to pull out of Roland Garros today. After two knee surgeries and over a year of rehabilitation, it's important that I listen to my body and make sure I don't push myself too quickly 
on my road to recovery. I'm thrilled to have gotten three matches under my belt. There is no greater feeling than being back on the court. Um, And the FFT continued. The Roland Garros tournament is sorry about the withdrawal of Roger Federer, who put up an incredible fight last night. We were all delighted to see Roger back in Paris, where he played three high-level matches we wish him all the best for the rest of the season, said Guy Forget, tournament director. Can you imagine a statement like that about anybody else's withdrawal? I mean, possibly Serena Williams. You'd hope Rafael Nadal. But it's extraordinary to get a comment from the tournament director um, uh, after a, after a, an injury withdrawal from a tournament. So it it wasn't that unexpected after Roger Federer's press conference last night. That obviously happened after we recorded our podcast for the second time. Um, Editor Patrick, not quite prepared to uh, to stay up and wait for us to all attend Roger Federer's press conference. But he did hint that he would make a decision today based on how he felt after waking up from that three and a half hour battle. Um What would we like to deal with first? Roger Federer and his withdrawal or Serena Williams and her loss? Uh, I think Federer uh, in this instance. Um, And uh, actually, I I don't think it is that unusual for a tournament director to comment about an injured player. I've written press releases quoting the tournament director at Queen's many times when people have withdrawn, but that's always been with an injury, a specific acute just happened injury that stops them playing in the next round, as 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 far as I can recall at least. I mean, look, occasionally there have been differences to that. Somebody cites fatigue, particularly at a at a tournament that is a lower level tournament than a Grand Slam. What's unheard of, as far as I can tell, is a player during a Grand Slam, withdrawing from that Grand Slam, not acutely injured with a new injury in order to preserve themselves for another Grand Slam that's on the horizon. I I don't really recall anything quite like this. There have been some situations, I think, where players have made it clear, look, my main focus is the one in the distance because that's the one I'm more likely to do well at. Um, But to preemptively withdraw um as a precaution i think is is highly unusual to the point of being pretty much unprecedented as far as i i can't think of any um and look it's it's got people talking it it it, i didn't see the press comments last night i didn't hear it I i don't know exactly what was said i've read the quotes and they they did sort of take you aback a little bit. Uh, uh, not that it's a surprise that he's feeling like that, because I I completely get it. You know, he's had eighteen months. He's thirty nine years of age. He does now long is left in those knees, and he really wants to have one big run. And his best chance is at Wimbledon. It makes total sense in terms of logic. But is it right? Is that is that the right thing to be doing? when it's a Grand Slam tournament that you've just entered and you've just beaten this guy and it was fantastic last night and he did a great job and he showed all that grit and determination to get through and then you end up finding out the next day, oh, well, that's it then. Now, he, he he didn't hurt himself in that match, but he's pulling out anyway. And I think that that's quite hard for some people to stomach, really. 
even Patrick McEnroe I saw, who's who's a pretty major evangelist for Roger Federer, as many of many people are, and I include myself amongst it. Big fan of the, the 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 man as a person and as a player, of course. But it's it does jar you. It does jar you, and I think maybe a and the, the problem is, I don't want players to lie. I don't want them to to be to not be transparent. And he was transparent last night. He just said the truth. And so I can't knock him for that. Um, and the logic also is there for, for the decision he's taken. And yet, so I, I think in the end, I end up thinking, well, he, it is different for him and Serena, for instance, to everybody else. Maybe you could put Nadal in that category, but a guy who's done everything that he's done and is the age that he is, and it's clearly the end in sight, Fair enough, is is what I end up thinking about it. But it's it is a slightly awkward feeling. Mm. Yeah, I feel very uncomfortable about it because I I feel very muddy about it. I don't have a sort of Twitter tweet length worthy view that I can either easily summarize on it. I I absolutely think it's the best thing for Roger Federer and selfishly as somebody that loves and is invested in the sport it's very very clear whether you would categorize yourself as a Roger Federer fan or not the longevity of Federer in this sport is is in its interest the long the more we can eke out of of, of Federer and this applies to Serena Williams equally for me the better for the sport i i want him to be able to challenge at wimbledon i want him to be able to to be a factor for the rest of this season and to be contributing to the profile and the watchability of tennis. And without question, with a view to all of those factors, I think this is the right decision. But that doesn't make it right. Now, I I don't know whether this is right or wrong. I know that bending the having one rule for one person... And one more for another doesn't seem right. But equally, he's 39 years old. This is unprecedented. You know, I know we had Jimmy Connors at 39 at the US Open, but what he's doing and what he's trying to do at 39, his status in the sport, everything, is unprecedented. So there is an argument that he has completely earned special consideration. But on the other hand, I can't help but feel uncomfortable with it and uncomfortable with what it says about the... the integrity what it does for the integrity of the sport and the grand slam events and and my next point is absolutely not roger federer's fault but this decision would absolutely be treated differently if it were novak djokovic making it i mean i think it would be received twice as negatively if it were novak djokovic making it and 10 times as negatively as if it was serena williams making it now that's neither here nor there if it in terms of Federer's decision, but in terms of how we all assess that decision, I think we should probably all keep that in mind because while he has absolutely earned some special consideration, I also think he gets leeway, too much leeway sometimes, I do, because of how evangelical people people feel about him. Yeah, I agree. Federer gets away with stuff partly because he's earned it, you know, in a 
situation like this. He's retired from no matches in his career. He's withdrawn from five tournaments in his very long career. No one is saying that at any time Federer has been bringing into question the integrity of the sport or the tournaments he's playing. This is a very one-off thing at a very particular stage of his career, as you've both explained. And the French Open is a week later and a week closer to Wimbledon than it normally is. Again, it's an atypical year. Um, But I completely agree. I think we could be in a situation in years to come where Serena, perhaps, Djokovic, Nadal, perhaps, take a similar decision as they prioritise a different major tournament, for example. And I think in those instances, it would be very important to remember the uh, slack that Federer has been cut for this by most people, I think, in this instance. It's a classic tennis conflict, isn't it? Players versus tournaments. We talk about that all the time in terms of ATP politics at the moment. And this, you know, that's the nub of this issue as well. Um, Something I would say is what was the alternative for Federer? Let's say... Let's say he had done what we were anticipating him to do when we recorded the podcast that never made it to air last night and just took his foot off the pedal a bit in that match, didn't win it. No one would have been questioning that. Everyone would have said, you know what, it's Federer. He played his match, he lost, he didn't have it in him to win. I mean, could you argue he he gave a lot to this tournament last night by winning that Mm -hmm. match? That's a very good point. Another alternative, though, is that he goes out tomorrow and plays hard and gets it handed to him by Matteo Berrettini. Sure. That that would be all right. Or he goes out and plays casino tennis. Sure. Says, right, I'm not going to hit more than three shots in a rally and gives us all a load of fun. Or wins and then runs into Djokovic. You know, I mean, there are are some, I think, that might say, yeah, you just, you didn't want to have to take, you you didn't want to go into Haller and Wimbledon on the back of of a, demolition job at the hands of one of those of the two yeah no i i completely agree i do think this uh scenario came up a little bit in a much a much smaller event i think that's why i think one of the problems people have with this is that this is a grand slam but i remember in vienna last year djokovic went to vienna for the world number one spot he clinched it and then he basically tanked his next match against sonigo and we were critical Mm. of him for that Mm. Yep, absolutely. So I think the only, obviously the only acceptable thing to do for everyone is to go out in his next match and play as hard as he possibly can. But then that might not be the best decision for Roger Federer. Now, then it comes back to that tension of player versus tournament. And I'm not sure anyone's got a perfect, as you say, neat summary of what the right thing to do is. It's complicated. I'm going to take his- I'm going to take us to a hugely hypothetical place now, so buckle up. (laughs) Do you think this decision is an indicator, and we're always on the lookout for these indicators, so don't give me that look, David. Everybody is on high alert for the indicators. Do you think this decision is an indicator that he thinks it probably is his last French Open and he wants to go out on a win? And albeit a weird win in front of no crowds, but one he's really proud of and will savour. No. 
No, I, I, I think it, it could well be an indicator that it's his final French Open, but I don't think it's about that win. I think it's about Wimbledon. I think mm. it is about maximizing okay. his chances of winning Wimbledon in what was what is probably or may well be his final year. I tell you what, he's not doing anything to lower the stakes in the pressure on him at Wimbledon, <laughs> is he? No. That's that's the flip side of this. That's how he likes it. He he, he the and the and it's not just him, it's all of these players. You give them a goal. You give them the thing that they are going to concentrate everything on. And my word, I'd back them to have a good old run at it. Do, do you agree with that, Matt? I'm looking for indicators where there are no indicators. <laughs> no, I completely agree with everything David just said. I totally believe Federer when he says this is about Wimbledon. And and actually, he's been saying that all year. He, he, he said right back when mm-hmm. he came back in Doha, my season starts with the grass. Okay, one more hypothetical <laughs> for you. <laughs> I will draw you on one of these hypotheticals. Um, would if if the French Open hadn't moved back a week, and there were a, were a lovely extra week as we've been used to for the f- past few years between the clay court season and the grass, would this decision be different? Maybe, but I actually think that he's genuine when he says he's he's done better than he thought he would do. I think to come through three matches, including that one last night, and to look all right physically, I think that's what makes it slightly jar even more for us as viewers. He looked good, so don't stop. Carry on. But, you know, mm. from his perspective, I think he's really pleasantly surprised with how well it's gone. And uh, so I don't think he would necessarily have planned uh, anything more with that extra week. No. How do we think Matteo Berrettini feels about this? Delighted. Do you do think? You? I mean, sometimes a, I, sometimes a walkover know, you know. can throw you off your rhythm and he's probably going to have to backed, play Djokovic. I think he would have backed himself in I that think, match. I think and imagine, he... imagine you want to go into facing Djokovic off the back of a Federer win, not off the back of four days off. Maybe, but I think it would have been emotionally draining for him as well because he, he's had some tough experiences against Federer. He's, uh, he reveres him. We know that. And I think he needs. I think he'll have a better idea of being just coming out fresh. He needs to be able to get, to, to beat Novak Djokovic, which is going to be what he wants to do. He's not just there to make it the numbers. He's got to be p- prepared to just go full on for mm. however many hours it takes. So as much as he's got in the tank, the better. Mm. Interesting. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Um, Serena Williams lost today in straight sets to Elena Rabakina. Um, I was on commentary duty for Eurosport today, mostly focusing on Daniil Medvedev. Can't believe I got paid to do that. Uh, but it meant that my journey home uh, coincided with most of this Serena Williams match. So I'm going to need somebody else to put their hands up and tell me and the listeners what happened, why Serena has crashed out of the... French Open when we had just got so excited about a Serena Sprontek final and why Elena Rabatkina finds herself a French Open quarter-finalist. David, don't go quiet on me now. I saw your hand briefly flicker up. Is this is this what you're like at an auction? My, my hand was up to, to offer the floor to Matt, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was nodding at that, David. That excuse does not fly in an auction scenario. <laughs> I've just bought a house. What can I say? <laughs> um, Matt, it would appear it's over to you. But I, I did watch a bit of it, if you want. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll just tell you what I think first, because I joined it late. And it seemed as though Serena Williams' movement was in, impacted by that thigh problem, that leg problem she's had, the big strapping on it. But when I turned up uh, right at the start of the second set, she was, I think, a set and a breakdown, set and one love down. And she just reeled off eight incredible points and really looked like she was turning the match on its head. Um, and I think huge credit to Rebecca for sticking with it because she talked ahead of the match about how she just really wanted to feel the power of Serena Williams, somebody she'd grown up idolizing. And, and boy, did, in that moment, she felt it, but she still stuck in there. Um, yeah, it was. I, I found it a shame to see Serena Williams, to me, look inhibited by uh, an injury. But at the same time, Rebecca showed some of that promise from the start of last year when she won what four titles i think in about five weeks but she's she's a player for sure she just didn't have it today serena she just did not have her best game other than that surge that david has mentioned at the start of the second set where she got it back on on serve at that moment i thought okay here we go this is one of those moments where serena changes the tone of a match and changes the course of a match and takes over. And for a couple of games, she did play brilliantly. Then it just fell away again. And I agree with David. I think there was probably some inhibition of, of her movement based on that big strapping that she had on her leg. 
Rebecca was fantastic, you know, really brilliant. I, I loved the way she just was so composed, just stood up to Serena's power and produced her own power. But I think looking at it from Serena, certainly I was getting carried away when I saw this draw open up. And that was probably ignoring, just ignoring the place she was in coming into this tournament, which was with incredibly few matches and wins under her belt on clay. And also ignoring that bigger picture of this is a warm up to Wimbledon, even for Serena. I think, I think she had a much better chance of Federer of winning this tournament. I think had she played her best, she could have done. But she never wowed me with her form here like she did in the early rounds of Australia. I was, I was getting carried away by the draw rather than actually looking at Serena's level, which was fine for lots of the tournament, but not brilliant. And she had a bad day and she was called out by someone playing much better than her, I think. Just to throw you a lifeline and all of us a lifeline a little bit, we can't one night chastise ourselves for badly underestimating one of the greatest players of all time and going on sort of <laughs> score lines that we were seeing before our eyes and not factoring in the X factor of being one of the greatest. And the next night, chastise ourselves for not being logical enough mm. and no, giving too much mean. weight to the the championness of mm. of Serena Williams. Do you, do you see? Do you see how I constructed that life raft for us? <laughs> I do. I, I mean, I think I think Serena's recent defeats in slams have been both about the field getting stronger. You know, Andrescu played fantastically in that US Open final. Halep played fantastically in their Wimbledon final. Osaka's played fantastically when they've played. But they've also been about Serena not not bringing her best. And I think today was another one. Just when you expect Serena to go up the gears, she couldn't or she couldn't sustain it anyway. But in her words, she's in a much better place now than she was at the start of the tournament. And I, I believe that. She needed she seems, matches. She seems to be in a quite Roger federer place of sort of... Mm. Although she she was approaching this tournament from the outset differently from Roger Federer, it seems to me she's now thinking, well, I did better in this than I was expecting and I'm in good shape going into the Grand Slam at which I feel I have the most chance of achieving my ultimate goal. Um, well, the other thing I would say, Matt, while you're kicking yourself looking too much in the drawer, is our analysis of Serena Williams over the past six to 12 months has been that the field has deepened and strengthened so much that to win 24 and beyond, she now needs the help of a draw mm. a little or to, to some degree that there are players that on their day at their best are better than her. So I don't, I don't think getting carried away with a draw is that big a crime where Serena Williams is concerned, shall we say. David? Yeah, I was getting carried away. Absolutely. Um, but, you but were the on first Clay? one that said, talked, mentioned a Serena Shvantec final. In... I think my words were, oh. ima just, ima just imagine. Just imagine. And um, then I did, and it, the ship well, had sailed. But the thing is, you know, when Sabalenka had gone from, from her half of the draw, and, and one by one they were, they were falling, these players, and uh, 
And Azarenka went out today, and we'll get on to that. But, I mean, she's a player who beat her at the US Open. It was a good draw, the way it was opening up. Um, I mean, I thought she was – I've seen some decent tennis from her, but that that strapping was so heavy around her leg today and in the previous round. Just don't think you win major titles when you're when you're in that state, really, Who, whoever you are. Hmm. Elena Rabatkina, though, she's a she's a heck of a player, and as you pointed out, David, she, you know, she's a what would have been player. She's a, a pandemic sliding doors player. Had she reached four finals at the start of twenty twenty before the pandemic hit? Is that right, Matt? Yeah, four finals in five tournaments, I think, um, and it, and that Australian Open, she ran into Ash Barty in the third round, and. I think lots of people circled that match as a potential upset because Rebecca had played so well leading into it, but Barty beat her. So, I mean, who knows what she could have done at the Australian Open uh, with a different draw. Mm. Um, so, yeah, certainly she she showed the tennis that, that she displayed at the start of 2020 today. I think mm. she took three weeks off before Roland Garros and just sort of got in a much better headspace I think she'd had a bit of illness and she's come in really fresh and firing she will play Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova for a place in a Grand Slam semi-final now we've we've spent a lot of time uh talking about two massive news stories of the day so we're not going to be able to devote as much time as we'd like to to all of the remaining brilliant stories one of whom is Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova, who's into a Roland Garros quarterfinal 10 years after doing it for the first time. I'm I'm totally stealing Matt's stats here, which are extraordinary. She has reached the quarterfinal of every Grand Slam in singles and doubles, but never got a stage further in any Grand Slam in either singles or doubles which these are just extraordinary stats. I mean, I love the Azarenka story, but it is worth Pavlyuchenko for winning today just for these stats uh, (laughs) to be mention-worthy. She beat Azarenka 5-7-6-3-6-2, very het-up Azarenka uh, towards the end of that match. She got really irritated with her coach, didn't she? Gave Gave him what for about not making enough noise, and he had this wonderfully solemn expression on his face of... Yep, I know my role here. It's to absorb all of this and uh, do so with a stony poker face. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about it later. <laughs> um, but yeah, Pavlyuchenko is great today. Can she finally go one better? Or is there a reason that she's had this ceiling for the past 10 years of her career? See, I think there is a reason. Um, but... That doesn't mean that that reason isn't something she can overcome. And and I would say the fact that she won today would make – if I were her, I would be using that as such a platform to build for the rest of the tournament because I did not expect her to beat Victoria Azarenka today at all. And even when the match was going on, I thought the one thing that did strike me was the fact that she was hanging in there and keeping it close and that Azarenka wasn't accelerating away the way – champions in that situation usually do and i thought fair play to pavlochenkova there must be so much scar tissue there from all those years where she 
has failed to break through that glass ceiling of quarterfinals at, at major mm. tournaments. I mean, an amazing stat, man. That's just a, a, a humdinger, that one. But, mm. you know, coming into play against Rybakina, could you get two players in a more different position? The, the, the green young player who's in totally uncharted territory and somebody who's just been there so many times and got all these defeats under a name at that level. That's fascinating in its own right, that match. It won't, it won't be a sort of big headline grabber, but there's a lot going on there. The other quarterfinal from that bottom half will be Tamara Zidansek, who beat uh, Saranika Steyer today, 7-6-6-1. And she'll be up against Paula Bedosa, who battled through against Marketa Vondrosheva, 6-4, 3-6, 6-2, and David said after this match, I don't even care that I had picked Vondrosheva to win it and that my reputation's in tatters because <laughs> That's normal. I love ba- I love Barosa so much. What yeah. do you love about her, David? Oh, she's just great. I love her attitude. I feel like she's just another injection into the tennis world. Just this player who's who's got ambition and strokes everywhere she's got all the shots she's got power she's got physicality she's super intense and dedicated and determined and just looks like a real player like somebody who's going to be at the sharp end of big tournaments for years to come and i love the fact that she's just handling the pressure the fact that she's she's gone toe-to-toe with Anna Bogdan the other day, come through it and has another battle today against somebody who has been all the way to a final. This, you know, this is uncharted territory for Badosa, and yet people are thinking that she's got a chance to go all the way and she's handling it. I think she's really cool. Mm. And has a massive opportunity to reach a Grand Slam final. I mean, I don't say that lightly, but she might she might even be the favourite. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's no favourites in that section of the who, draw. Who are she, the other players in, the, in that half not, of the draw? Not a favourite. Who else she got? So, so she, Pavlyuchenkova. So she'll play Zidansek and then it's Pavlyuchenkova and Rabakina. Yeah, I, I'd call her the favourite. Don't mm. you think? I mean, just just thinking about that lineup. Obviously, at the start of the tournament, that would have been a colossal surprise that those four players made it to the quarterfinals. I think at the start of today, that's a big surprise that those mm. four players got through. Absolutely. I mean, there were a lot of surprising results today. I think Badosa Vondrosheva felt on a real knife edge to me, I think. But all the others, I probably would have picked the other way. Um, I think Zidanshek is the most under the radar of all of them. She's very measured, very all-round game and is the... F- is the first woman representing Slovenia to reach the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam. Um, Slovenia became an independent country in 1991. Mm, and we had a really nice email today from, I'm really sorry, I, I can't remember the name. Do, I, we I've do, got we it. Should... It's, it's a, oh, here we go. It's Bostian Budna. And uh, yeah, he, he wrote us a, a lovely email. Telling us um, what a sporting nation Slovenia is and what success they've had um, in other sports. Basketball, I think, is a a massive one in Slovenia. Um, But he said sort of tennis has been, you know, relatively unmined territory and that uh, this is a really big breakthrough 
obviously for Zidanecek herself, but also for the sport in the country. And there's also Kaya Yuvan coming through and that Yuvan has been the one that's been talked about as the big prospect. So they're in good shape as a, as a tennis nation. I was reading that she was a junior snowboarding champion in Slovenia, was Zidanecek. And she said she stopped that because she was cold all the time. Too cold as a sport. <laughs> understandable. Mm, Very I've, understandable. I, I so understand that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, um, she's, a, she's a fantastic mover on the tennis court. And I, I always am interested in players who've done other sports to a high level. I, I think skiing is the main one, isn't it? Sinner and Djokovic and snowboarding for Zidanecek. Mm, really interesting. Great balance and core cool strength those mm. uh, those winter sports give you. Just just finally on on the women's side because we're eating into time when we really need to be talking about Medvedev Sitsipas, um, which is coming up in the next round. Um, as Arenka after her loss today, she came very quickly to press, um, and she was asked initially by Russell Fuller of the BBC how she felt about the very unequal scheduling uh, on of the night sessions on Philippe Chatry court which is something that we discussed last night and she was not happy about it she she responded she said what concerns me is when someone from the french federation tries to say there's equality and only points to prize money which is which is something that that we absolutely echoed last night i followed up by asking her how she would have reacted to playing to being asked to play um a night session match in front of uh, an empty stadium, which is, you know, we were speculating or talking about how it doesn't suit anybody. Um, the fact that they've billed it as Le Match du Jour, but actually the players probably see, as a, see it as a bit of a poison chalice. But she responded brilliantly with, I can answer that when I'm asked to play one. That would be an improvement. So uh, Azarenka has spoken and spoken quite brilliantly. She was. They have scheduled uh, Svantec's match. Uh, tomorrow evening on uh, on the Philippe Chatre night session court Kostyuk against Schwantek. So that's uh, that'll be two out of nine women's matches. So hey, look, it's an improvement. Um now, Medvedev. He won today. He beat Christian Green. <laughs> he might even be the favourite to beat the previous favourite in the bottom half, Stefano Sitsipas in the next round because he's currently a sort of clay court specialist <laughs> and yeah a week is a long time in tennis <laughs> sure isn't it, is, isn't it? <laughs> blimey i mean we've gone from smiley face laughing emojis at his expense uh, in the quarterfinal projected draw uh, to him looking absolutely stunning today against christian garin who I didn't think was playing that badly, and he hadn't. He, he was playing his clay court game, his patience, his drives, and they were just having no impact on Medvedev whatsoever. Who was just soaking it up, being a wall, and then choosing a moment to pull the trigger. And he dismantled Green. I mean, it was a stunning performance. He and he hit two forehand winners down the line, both of them punctuated with either a wave of the arms to get people to cheer louder or just an outright celebration like he just scored a goal. It was He was fantastic, was Medvedev. It was 2019 Medvedev, wasn't it? Yeah. All thoughts of metronomic title winning and corporate Medvedev are <laughs> out of our minds. Yeah. Well, he, no, he's, he's playing like a, a 
dog on the clay now rather than he worries about how it looks. He's just digging in and he's saying, all right, I'm happy to get dirty. It's not a problem <laughs> at all. Anybody who wants a piece of me, come and get it. And that's him at his best. Can I present you with some information that you may or may not know? Do please, yeah. Medvedev has a chance, a legit chance, to get to world number one after this tournament. If he, he if he reaches the final and Djokovic doesn't, he's world number one. <laughs> and Djokovic has got Nadal in the semis, potentially. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> He is the biggest troll in sport. You love it. And he, I do love it. And he loves it as well. He embraces it. Mm. He totally embraces it. And uh, I just love that. He also, he said uh, after his match, he was asked about playing sit to pass in the quarterfinals. Of course, we we don't have time to go into all the history, but I will dedicate 49 minutes of uh, tomorrow night's podcast to previewing uh, Medvedev against Tsitsipas in all its bullshit Russian glory. <laughs> uh, those, <laughs> those are the words of Stefano Tsitsipas, not me. Um, yeah, see uh, greatest uh, ever tennis aggro uh, podcast. For, uh, for more details on that incident. I can see, Matt, you making a note to uh, mark this podcast as explicit. Sorry to <laughs> David's mum. But he, Sitsipas had finished his thrashing of Pablo Carreño Busta on court Philippe Chatrier uh, not long before Medvedev completed his victory over Green on Longlen. So uh, Medvedev was able to be asked about his upcoming quarterfinal against uh, Sitsipas, against whom he has quite a rivalry going on uh and Medvedev said oh well I hope you'll all cheer for me because you know I speak French and that must make you like me <laughs> and then everyone started going Daniel Daniel oh. and he said save it for Tuesday <laughs> <laughs> oh he's so great <laughs> um yeah, so Medvedev against Tsitsipas on Tuesday. It is, look, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think Medvedev m might be a favourite for that match. It's a 6-1 and head-to-head -head in Medvedev's favour. Tsitsipas's only victory came on indoor hard courts at the O2 Arena, the ATP Finals, uh, when he beat him a couple of years ago, or a year and a half ago. Um, I think Medvedev's in his head and Medvedev is in a space at the moment where he will exploit being in his head. He's, a, he's, he's in maximum troll Medvedev mode. And he's also playing damn good clay court tennis. I'd, I, I don't know, but I, m my mouth is saying these words. He might be the favourite. He's got nothing to lose in his own mind. He's got mm. nothing to lose and that makes him blooming dangerous. Whereas, I tell you, I tell you what, Sitsipas does not want that match. No, he it, he is he is head in hands it, at the prospect of that match. It was so stark how much of a Medvedev problem he had at the Australian Open. I mean, he didn't hit a winner from the baseline. Yeah, and he's just match. beaten Nadal, and then he goes out and faces yeah. that. I mean, I, I must say, I do think the Nadal thing was a factor there. I think he was quite mentally 
physically and emotionally drained after beating Nadal going into playing Medvedev. But, I mean, Sitsipas is playing blooming well as well. And, mm. yeah, it's just it's just fascinating. What matters more, the head-to-head or the surface? And can Sitsipas play without thinking Oof. about who's down the other end? Because if he can just play, his, play the ball enough, mm. the natural... Yeah benefits that the surface gives his game and the way they complement each other might well be enough to mm. win in the match. I know you shouldn't wish your life away, but get me to Tuesday. <laughs> um, very, very quickly, uh, got to wrap up the other men's quarterfinal. It looks like it's going to be Zverev. He's two sets, 3-1. He's uh, he's well on his way to victory over Kane Shikori. He has been. He's been playing the sort of tennis that We've all been willing for him to play. Just no nonsense. Huge hitting. Just mm. cracking at the ball. Um, and it has been very impressive indeed. He will play Alejandro Davidovich for Kina in the quarterfinals. Matt, you are the unearther of uh, Alejandro Davidovich for Kina. You've got 30 seconds to talk about him slash his love of pet adoption. Up to you what you want to talk about. <laughs> Uh, so he beat, who did he beat? Federico Del Bonis today in four sets. He tried to make life difficult for himself. He was <laughs> he was two sets up, twice a breakup in the third set and managed to lose that set. Some absolutely terrible underarm serves he hit today. He basically sort of just lobbed the ball up for Del Bonis to hit for a winner, which he did every time. And yet it's a great, great win, backing up. A bit of a breakthrough against Casparuno. I always think that's hard to do to back those results up. And he did it in his usual fun style. Um, mm-hmm. I love watching him play. And if he's got enough in the tank, I think he can really push Zverev. He is good, good news, Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. We also had Andy Lapthorne and David Wagner winning the quad wheelchair men's doubles title today. Uh, we also had Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed winning the men's wheelchair doubles title today, beating Stefan Uday and Nicholas Pfeiffer. We don't have time for me to roll out my Stefan Uday uh, stats again, but do check out yesterday's pod if you haven't heard me wheel that out. Uh, Dida de Groot or de Groot. Did my best there, folks. Uh, beat Yui Kamiji in the final of the women's wheelchair singles, 6 4 6 3. Uh, in the men's wheelchair singles, uh, I don't think we've had the conclusion of that yet. Certainly, if we did, it didn't take place today. I think it's tomorrow. Oh, something to look forward to. Um, and yeah, I think that is it for those results. We'll we'll uh, we'll bring you up to date with uh, with double stuff and junior stuff. We've got a whole week of this French Open to go. <laughs> there was one very significant doubles today, and that was Iga Swiatek. Oh yes, partnering Bethany Matic Sands. They took out Elise Mertens and Suwei Shay. I'm very much enjoying the fact that Su- that Elise Mertens has gone from Sabalenka to Suwei <laughs> Shay as a partner. That feels like a very different vibe. But uh, Sviontek and Matic Sand saved seven match points and came back from five one down in the final set. And there were there were scenes afterwards. The celebrations were something. They really, really were. really were something. If you can find those on YouTube, or I'm sure they're on Twitter or something. They were, it was incredible. Uh, so once again, for the second year in a row, obviously she didn't quite achieve it in the doubles last year. The singles and doubles double 
is on for Iga Svantec. Uh The schedule for tomorrow is thus. Philippe Chatre looks like this. Angebeur against Coco Goff, followed by Novak Djokovic against Lorenzo Musetti. Then Rafael Nadal against Yannick Sinner. And the night session is Marta Kostiuk against Iga Svantec. Longlen starts with Sloane Stevens against Barbora Krachikova. Then it's Diego Schwartzman against Jan Leonard Struff, who lost in doubles today uh, with Robin Harser to Pierre Gebert and Nicolas Maou, who lost the first set six love, uh, but ended up coming through. And then it is Sophia Kennan against Maria Sakkari. That's your schedule for tomorrow. Oh, Catherine, can I just tell you as well that on court 14 tomorrow, first up is Leo Borg. Mm. In the first round really? of the uh, the boys' yep. singles, son of Bjorn Borg, and uh, he's building himself uh, a career and, and starts off here. And by the way, just on the uh, the quad wheelchair men's singles final is on court twelve. First up at uh, at ten o'clock our time, I think. Uh, Dylan Alcott against Sam Schroeder, and then after that, it's uh, it's Canada against Hewitt in the wheelchair men's singles final. Nice one. Thank you very much, David. Your mascot is Rogue. Yeah, I mean, I was a disgrace, Mm. Rogue. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is Zeus. And as it stands, Zeus, we haven't, we're not out of the game, but we are relying on Kenny Shikori coming back from 461613 Juice. (laughs) Good luck. So I would say it might not have been the best day. For us, Matt scored some points, though, for Scalzo Mousel. Yes, with Davidovich Fakina. Uh, Billy Jean has been quiet throughout this whole recording. No edits required. Her sponsor, her mascot. No, Billy Jean's the mascot, isn't she? Uh, Billy Jean King is the sponsor. And we have Chris Albert Lee, who's our executive producer and a top bloke. Matt, who are our shout outs for? Kelly Pepin. Right, Ooh. Kelly. With a pep in her step. Hello, Kelly. Yeah. Thanks for your support. Thank you, Kelly. Carrie Templeton. Hello, Carrie. Oh, Carrie with an IE as in Bradshaw. I was going to say Fisher. Wasn't there a really scary movie called Carrie? Yep. All of those things. Bradshaw, Fisher, Carrie the horror movie. Carrie's not scary, though. She's great. Thank you, Carrie, for your support. And finally, Sega Shriramagiri. Oh, have you been practising that, Matt? I've written it out sort of phonetically. Uh, can we have a uh, a spelling of Sega, please? I love it when you spell names. S-A-G-A-R-S-R-I-R-A-M-A-G-I-R-I. He went Fantastic. the whole hog. All for you, Sega. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with another daily French Open tennis podcast. Tell your mates, leave us uh, an iTunes, an Apple podcast review. Uh, Definitely subscribe to the newsletter. I'm not going to spoil it, but tomorrow's stat is, I mean, today's stat is, is, I mean, lots of words about that stat. Uh, So do subscribe to that and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.